So I wanted to start things off today, not with um, any of the crazy hockey news that has gone on since we last spoke. I hope everybody had a great weekend. Welcome into uh, Good Morning Hockey, another week of um, great podcasting here, another week of great shows. We had a show actually come out on Sunday, yesterday. I think it was our Sunday debut of um, Alethio Network's production. We have um, On the Gravel, right? Talking talking a lot of F1. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that was really good. Go check that out. I listened to that yesterday. Um, but I wanted to start off today, not with not with any of the crazy hockey news that happened since we hit the record button yesterday, or on Friday. No Todd McClellan, no NHL participation in the next two Winter Olympics. No Four Nations face-off. None of that. No Sean Monaghan to the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, we're going to get to all that, but I wanted to start off today, and I want to start off the week talking about floorball. And uh, for those of you who don't know what floorball is, it's uh, it's a game. It is traditionally played like hockey. It's five five on five with a goalie on each side, and uh, it looks like floor. It looks like uh, it looks like floorball. It, it definitely does look like floorball. It looks like ball hockey a lot in terms of the structure of the game. The play of it. it. It's very similar to ball hockey. The balls are different. It is more of a wiffle ball in uh, floor ball than it is in ball hockey. In ball hockey, obviously, they use the orange rubber balls that were all hard rubber that we're all used to. Um, but floor ball started in Sweden in the late 60s. It became uh, more and more formal as the years went on. The first team was Sala IBK. It was founded in 1986 in Sala, Sweden. It's um, traditional official rules were written down pen to paper in 1981. So um, the I the IFF is the governing body for um, international floorball, which you know it, it is an international sport. It's played 19 it, or they were formed in 1986. The since then every world championship that they do it's biannual, so um, dominated by Sweden, dominated by Finland. Um, Czechia is a very big floorball country. So is a so is Switzerland, um, to a lesser extent, countries like Slovakia and Norway. Um, but they all play. So do they. So do uh, people in Canada and the United States. As far as world championship participation, these are all like interesting things. So I went to go play floorball yesterday for the very first time. I was going to jump into it a little bit. Um, if by chance you are listening to this show, then you are uh, probably familiar with floorball. You've probably seen clips of it on the internet. Uh, Pavel Barber, trick shot specialist for ice hockey, is is a known floorball player. He plays for Canada's men's uh, floorball team. So one interesting thing that I found out uh, in my experience playing yesterday, it was a very random um, time, and it was very fun. I really enjoyed myself a lot. We um, did a game, a pickup game, and... It was uh, old guys versus Team USA under 19 players. So um, score was close, 6-4 with an empty netter. We lost, um, but it was still a great game, really high pace. But there are some rules that that caught me off guard. And um, one thing that I found interesting internationally was there's only one spot available in qualifications for the men's worlds and women's for from the Americas. So Canada and the U.S. play floorball here in North America all the time in order to qualify for the world. So only one spot is had between the two countries. So it's it always makes for an interesting matchup. They play two game sets to determine who moves on to the men's worlds. And um, that is how they find out what, who will represent the Americas. So uh, it, it's a very interesting game. A lot of people care about it. And if you look at some of the top professional leagues, the highest being um, the one in Sweden, they will fill up arenas worth of 10, 12,000 people for floorball. And they get loud when they score and, or when their their team scores. And I, I came, I went back home and I had seen clips of it before. And I came back home yesterday after playing and they... Um, they get loud. It's a very intense uh, environment. They know where to host the world championships. They host it in countries that uh, they know will be successful draws for uh, this kind of thing. So um, the last one was in Switzerland. The next one's in Sweden. Um, and I think the one after that's in Finland. So they're putting it in the right spots. But I found out that um, 
Texas, as far as the U.S. goes, has a pretty niche flip floorball community. Like they have a they have a good culture of it down there. The only floorball, uh, what, do, what do you call it, brick and mortar store, right? Like the only place you could go inside and um, purchase floorball equipment in the United States is in Texas. So, I mean, all of it was really awesome. It was a great experience. I um, received a DM over Instagram asking me to go play, and I was a bit nervous, but um, ended up saying yes, and it was a great experience. Sometimes you got to do things like that in life, just uh, take a random chance and go meet new people and see what it's all about. And um, they're all hockey fans. A lot of them are hockey players. I would say about 90% of the people that were out there had uh, some background in hockey, some experience in hockey. Some some people out there were were straight floorball players. Some of them had played neither and were going out there for the first time. And that was very nice and neat to see people trying. Because, look, there are, there are people that are um, very floorball-oriented, but it is a sport that goes hand in hand with hockey. So um, just like ball hockey, just like all of these things, it um, there are certain rules and certain uh, parts of the game that nuances of the game that you have to uh, get used to with floorball. One of them being uh, there's no stick checking. So you can't lift up somebody else's stick. You can't uh, you can't use your hands. So you can't like bring the ball down with your hands if it's in the air, which happens quite a bit. So uh, I, I was definitely out there like trying to grab the ball with my hands for a little bit and then realizing that I can't do that. Um, you also can't play it with your head. There was a missed call at the end of the game when I was trying to get the ball and uh, hit it off somebody's head. No whistle. That's okay. Um, but it uh, you can't like if somebody's around you, if there's like rules as far as like how alone in space you are. So if you're all alone in space, you can wind up and take a back scratch and slap shot. But if there is a person near you, you can't bring your stick up below your knees. So it's very high in hockey. You know, some of the rules as far as even like batting the ball or puck, you know, out of the air, um, it's above the waist or above the shoulders, but in floorball, it's above the knees. So um, it's 20 minute periods that, and that's what we played yesterday. So a lot of running, I, I was exhausted by the end of it really uh, showed my need for some more cardio in my life. But um, it's a great game. I'm definitely going to go back out there and play. There's no floorball this week because of the Super Bowl. But um, they, this it's a cool Chicago community. There's not that many uh, people, right? And it's not that popular of a game. There were a lot of people out, uh, out there yesterday from the Czech Republic and Finland. And um, it was cool seeing everybody come together and really enjoy floorball. Um as a, as a group and really just get together. It, it's a nice community that they have. So I felt um, it, it was a good experience even being a part of it just for one day. So uh, that is my floorball story. And um, we we are going to get into some ice hockey. We're going to bring on um, in a second here, Chris Sinclair. He covers the PWHL and specifically PWHL Ottawa for, uh, the, for THN. And uh, He's also the host of the Rinkside Rundown podcast, so we're going to bring him on. And um, but we're we're going to talk a little hockey first. And I wanted I wanted to um, start by mentioning Tom McClellan. So um, the All Star Game was a success, by the way. Uh, there was a lot of fun parts of it to the end. We saw all the celebrity participation that the NHL really craved, um, and it was just a good event. I think Toronto as a whole was a lot of fun. I think everybody that was there enjoyed themselves. I think the play on the ice was a lot more competitive than everybody thought it was going to be. And uh, I don't know. Players wanted the million dollars. And and as we all should have really known, Connor McDavid won the skills competition. So, um, But I wanted to jump in on the hockey side of things with a little Todd McClellan talk. And so he was let go Friday by the LA Kings. And Jim Hiller will be taking over for the rest of the season. And Hiller's in his... Um, He's in his second season as a Kings assistant coach, and Todd McClellan becomes the sixth coach fired this season in the National Hockey League, which is a bit high for it being the time of year it is. And I don't know that many people would have predicted that at this point in the season that six NHL coaches would have been fired so far. Um, so, um, but it's like I said, it's his second season as Kings assistant. He also spent three years on the island. Um, he spent three years with the Leafs and one season with Detroit, all as an assistant. Um, his roots trace back to 12 years in the WHL and the BCHL. He spent five years as head coach of the Tri-City Americans. 
He was a WHL and CHL coach of the year in 2011-12. So the guy has a good hockey resume. He's very well respected in the game. He worked with Barry Trotz on Long Island. So um, he he also played. He um, played 62, 63 games in the National Hockey League. Don't want to give him a game short for Jim Hiller. But uh, he played for the Kings. He was a 10th round draft pick by them. He also played for the Detroit Red Wings and the New York Rangers. So... Uh, he wrapped up his pro career in Germany and in Italy for one season, which um, always, in my opinion, gives somebody a well-rounded view and perspective on the game and the world and uh, what hockey can be like outside of the North American bubble. Um, so he so he should be a good replacement. I don't know. Not, this is nothing against Jim Hiller, but I was on record on this show mentioning that I think um, Todd McClellan is a great coach, one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. Um, we've seen the success he's had with the San Jose Sharks. So that was um, a perennial um, playoff contender and always a team that you could have picked to go far in the Stanley Cup playoffs when he was behind the bench. Um, his system's really good. I know he tried to make some uh, adjustments to his 1-3-1, and it didn't really end up working. And so uh, the defense was a little out of whack. And so um, it it didn't really end up working out. And I know that you can't really turn your nose at 14 losses in your last 16 games, but um, it's still something has to give in Los Angeles. Um, expectations are higher. Um, there isn't a quick fix move, in my opinion. I know a lot of people are really trying to paint Los Angeles as maybe like a trade destination or even a, a team that might look to move off of a player to but cap space is so tight that I, I don't really know how you're going to do it, not just with the Kings, but with a lot of the teams in the NHL. Um, there's a lot of goalie talk. Um, I know Dave Riddick is trying to or probably already has stolen the starting job from NHL All-Star Cam Talbot, I might add. But um, I, I think you've got to give those two guys a little bit more of a run in the net. Um, and I don't know really who else is available out there relative to the number of teams that are also probably searching for goaltending help, thinking of Carolina. Um, so, you know, the Hawks just re-signed Peter Morazic. If you're really looking for a goalie, it's probably Dan, Vlad Dan Vladar. I don't know how much interest Los Angeles would have in a guy like Vladar. I think they maybe kicked the tires on him, and it didn't really end up amounting to much. So, um yeah, it, it, it should be an interesting situation over in L.A. Um, I um, So we are going to see how that goes. Raymond, how are we doing as far as maybe getting Chris on? Um, I can call him right now. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so we're going to get Chris on, like I said, in a minute. He um, he covers PWHL Ottawa. We Look, we've given a lot of shine to that league, um, and rightfully so. I watched both games yesterday. We had... Um, Ottawa taking on New York, and that was a really exciting game. We'll get into that one. Ottawa had a 3-0 lead and then lost in overtime, their fourth overtime loss of the season. That leads the PWHL. Um, and then the other game was Montreal-Boston, and that was a great game. Obviously, anytime it's Montreal-Boston getting together, you know it's going to be a good matchup, and it means hockey when Montreal and Boston get together. So... Um, that was that was a really good game. Montreal won that game 2-1 in overtime. And the road team dominance continues in the PWHL. Maybe we'll ask Chris about that and why road teams in the PWHL just seem to be able to walk into a building that has a lot of screaming fans and young fans really enjoying the game and um, impassioned fan bases and why these road teams are able to walk in there and come away with three points because that's how the PWHL works, everybody. Um so that's been uh, good to see. We're going to ask him, ask him some specifics about the team he covers, what's it like being boots on the ground for a P-Dub team, um, all of these different things. He covers a very exciting team, I might add. A lot of really interesting players on Ottawa, um, lots of players from all different kinds of backgrounds. So we'll get into that with Chris in a little bit here. He's uh, he's here. Oh, yeah. Do we have Chris Sinclair on from THN? We do. Yes, I am here. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Chris. It's uh, very nice to have you on with us. Uh, we were just, I don't know if, how much of the intro you heard I gave of you, um, but, you know, you cover a very exciting team over in Ottawa with the PWHL Ottawa team and um, obviously a tough loss yesterday. So maybe we'll maybe we'll just start there. What happened yesterday? They looked at control for most of the game. 
They go up 3-0 on New York, and I won't lie to you, I stepped out of the room for about two minutes, and when I walked back in the room, I, it was 3-3, and I was I was shocked, uh, to say the least. And then, obviously, we all saw what happened when um, Alex Carpenter scored in overtime or second in the game, um, and New York won, and Ottawa lost. What happened there, Chris? Yeah, so I guess, uh, great, let's start off on a real... Uh, sour note and uh, and still one that uh, Ottawa fans are uh, this morning as of this morning are still reeling with so I appreciate that no I think the reality is um, you know Ottawa they played for 98% of that game they were the significantly the more dominant team they had uh, New York hemmed in their own for the majority of the game uh, but what I would say is that once, so, uh, New York scored that first goal, uh, and then everyone in the crowd was like, okay, that's fine. So it was within like five minutes or so of the, the end of the game. It's like, okay, fine. That sucks for Max Meyer for not being able to get the shutout, but we've got this. The defense had been outstanding the entire game. They had held New York to the, uh, you know, to the outside, had protected the lanes. They were going to be fine. It was good. Defense was super, you know, aggressive, providing those outlet passes to the forwards, which was great. And then that 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 second goal went in, and everyone in the crowd, I can promise you, was saying, "Oh no, it's happening again." And then they tied it. And then, as soon as we went to overtime, New York and uh, and uh, New York's head coach after the game had shared that they, after that second goal, it was that second goal that they really felt it momentum and everyone in the crowd had the momentum everyone felt that they had the momentum they went to overtime and it was just a matter of, uh in overtime ottawa never actually had a shot on goal uh they the closest ottawa had was when new york would skate it into the neutral zone and then skate back into uh ottawa's zone uh at that point we knew it was done uh we just the 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 frustration from Ottawa fans is that we're just unable to close out a game. We can, as you had mentioned, had a really, really, really great, uh, you know, uh, majority of the game, but it was just closing it out. And Ottawa fans, that's where even this morning, Ottawa fans are still feeling that. So uh, what happened, you know, they just, they just let the, the foot off the pedal and, and, and lost their game a little bit as the game progressed to be totally, totally, uh, totally honest. Yeah. Abby, Abby rock really took over that game. And, um, so, so did Alex Carpenter a little bit. They were both excellent in that one. Um, so that's Ottawa's fourth overtime loss of the season. I brought that up earlier before you came on with us and, um, would have really led to the overtime struggles. They were pretty outplayed, like you said, in that overtime yesterday, and um, that might have been more of a mental one than after giving up the three goals than some of the other games they've played. But overall, what would you account the overtime struggles to? Um, I mean, the, it, so what the fans, so I'm going to kind of divide this, I think, into two categories. So a lot of the fans are feeling as though uh, there's just not a finisher, right? So there's not that person, like, a, like an Alex Carpenter is a perfect example who can single-handedly take over a game, right? There is, we don't necessarily have that caliber of player yet. And so that's where I divide it up, where we do have those finishers. They just haven't found that, they just haven't found their game yet. And that's partly as a result of, you know, a short um, preseason or only seven games into the season. So yeah, I, I don't, I'm not too worried about it. But outside of a, you know, a Brian Jenner or maybe, uh, you know, um, you could even ar- argue that like a Lexia Gia, who's been the, the you know, the, the biggest um, contributor for Ottawa thus, thus far in the season. You know, we're waiting for Daryl Watts to take um, to, you know, take that next step or even uh, Shiga, who, um, you know, she may be a really underrated player. But we're waiting for those finishers to take that next step so i think that's ultimately what's holding us back is we can um and in this case we got to overtime again because the defense at least from my perspective the defense in yesterday's game and the defense typically overall 
starts out really, really strong and they just have a momentary, you know, lapse. And that lapse, unfortunately, causes them to, uh, you know, lose their lead and then, um, and then unfortunately lose in overtime. So I think it's that, that next level of uh, finisher that I think, I know a lot of fans are feeling the same way. Um, and I, I arguably, as much as I, I wish it was another reason, I would say it's probably, you know, we don't have that Alex Carpenter or, or, or what have you in uh, for the team yet, yet. And I want to underline bold that asterisk yet. We have Chris Sinclair on, like I said, he covers the PWHL and PWHL Ottawa in particular for THN. He's also the host of the Ringside Rundown podcast. Um, so a lot of interesting names you just mentioned there. Um, and there's there's a lot of ways I think we could go with this team um, there, there's, a, like I said, a lot of interesting players, um, good stories on this team. Um, but I, I did want to ask, so, um, you mentioned, let's, let's start with Daryl, Daryl Watts, I guess. Um, she was a big time college player, um, played with Toronto in the, with the six in the old PHF. Um, there was a lot of question as to whether she really wanted to play pro hockey, and then once the offer really came in from the six, she decided that it was uh, time to give it a go. And she can really be one of the more dominant players in this game if she wants to. And uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not saying that she necessarily doesn't want to yet, but it just seems like she hasn't really gotten to the full adjustment of the P Dub yet. And um, so, what what can we see maybe from a player like Daryl Watts um, going forward? Yeah, I would say you know. She's been someone all season long, especially the probably the past five games or so. It, it has taken her a couple of games to adjust to, especially the more physical nature of the uh, PWHL, where you know none of these uh, athletes are, are used to uh, the physical aspect of the game. So it takes everyone a little bit more time. Whether you're either you're not used to it or you you are someone like a Gia who is, um, that's kind of what she, that's how she would prefer to play her game. So I think that's a part of it. But arguably the past five games, she's been someone that, that, that were, she's noticeable on the ice. I would say, you know, yesterday's game, you know, versus New York, she, she had that goal that was taken, that was disallowed. And she showcased her skill set on that. I, I actually, I think she was arguably, despite the, the goal scores, probably, Ottawa's second best or like a 1B best player on the ice. She was noticeable on every shift. So I would say if, if you're looking, if you want to know, um, you know, what is Daryl Watts, what, what is her game, watch the game yesterday. And obviously despite the outcome, watch specifically for her because she was able to create plays. She was so fast, so dynamic, aggressive on the forecheck, and the, the thing about her, too, is that she's so confident with the puck, she will absolutely, uh, you know, gain net front presence. She will drive the net. And I think that's the aggressiveness that you're going to be looking for from a player like Watts. Um, you mentioned also and Akane Shiga, and there are a couple of really interesting international players on this team, and Ottawa might have the most interesting collection of international talent out of all the PWHL squads. Um, there's also Fanny Garatka-Sparics on the team. She's a Hungarian national. Um, so what have your interactions with them been like? How has the adjustment been for them? Um, obviously, Shiga has the uh, potential we've seen at different world championships to maybe be uh, kind of that game-breaking player that Ottawa w is in search of that you were talking about earlier. Um, what, what's it been like for them so far in their early experiences in the league? Yeah, I would say when we talk about uh, Shiga, I would say a lot of people, you're going to look at her numbers over her career. Um, she's played uh, in Japan. Um, you're going to look at her numbers and you're not necessarily going to be super, I'll be blunt. You're not necessarily going to be super like blown away by her, her numbers. Um, but you have to remember that the Japan, the Japanese team internationally has, they, they just don't score many goals, but she factors in on almost every one of the goals that they score, if not all of the goals that they score. So I think that's where you're going to see her being able to, to, to elevate this team and to be able to start being that game breaker that we're talking about 
um, where she's able to finish those plays really well. And when you watch her in practice, um, which I'm fortunate enough to be able to see, you're seeing like she has such an elite shot. It's so deceiving that, um, you know, it's only a matter of time for her to start feeling a little, again, she's a, she's a bit smaller. Uh, she's a bit on the smaller side is only five, five. Um, so I think the physical side of the game is something she's continuing to adjust to, but when she adjusts to that, she's going to be able to be that speedy forward that the team needs and will be ab- absolutely uh, incredible on, you know, I'm thinking about the power play, which, uh, you know, Ottawa has already been their best in the league for uh, on the power play, but she's going to be able to elevate that power play. She's also going to be, again, that person, that player you're looking for at the end of the game to be able to close it out. Now, when we talk about Gitsparich, she is, uh, you know, fortunately enough, um, you know, I, I had a chance to chat with her for my podcast and, and she's someone that, uh, even yesterday, she's someone that will, all of a sudden, she's the one on a play that she's driving to the net. Um, she, again, she just has such, for her, she, it's her shot and her strength. So those are a couple of assets that I think will help to elevate her game. And, you know, she, you know at this point, she hasn't factored in on any of the goals. But she is absolutely someone that the team is relying on. And she's, it's great because she's able to play up and down the lineup. And, you know, she can play, uh, whether it's the, the PK, whether it's the uh, power play, she can play on all of these different, um, in all of these different elements. And I think that's something that uh, this team needs is to be able to find that player who can play up and down the lineup and to just have an impact regardless of whether she's, second, third line, or she's playing on the fourth line, which is where she's played a, a, a number of her games so far this season. Um, so great stuff, first of all. Um, thank you for uh, joining us, and great, just great stuff. Check out Chris's writing on THN. It's really good, um, and his podcast is very good. The interviews are really good. He gets all the all the great players that you want in the women's side of the game. Um so a friend of mine is on the team, uh, Michaela Grant Mentis. She was a former uh, MVP with N Rookie of the Year in the old PHF. And she went undrafted through all the player selection process and went unsigned. And I was a bit surprised by that. I have to be honest with you, Chris. And um, she ended up coming to camp with Ottawa on a PTO and made the team out of camp. She has three assists in six games so far. She didn't play yesterday. I'm not too sure why. Maybe you have a bit of an update on that. Um, but what what has been her maybe impact on the team? I know personally I believe that she has the ability to um, take her game to that next level. Um, we have we saw it in the old league. Um, she can score goals. She, she doesn't have one yet, but she can score goals. Uh, wh- what's her impact on this team been so far? I know she's also friends with Daryl Watts, so that's been nice for her to play for them to play together. Um, do you have a few words on uh, MGM? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, uh, we didn't necessarily get a, a specific update on why she didn't play yesterday's game. She was uh, in attendance. So I believe it was just a healthy scratch, okay. um, but that's just, that's just that there's nothing official there, but that's from my perspective, what ended up happening yesterday. Um, but what I would say with, with her is, um, you know, like when you look at her numbers over, like even just with uh, the PHF, 21 points in 24 games, like she's absolutely, I was surprised that she didn't get drafted. I know, you know, you were, a number of people were, that she didn't end up getting drafted. And I think that Ottawa is really, really lucky to be able to have her. The impact that she has both on and off the ice, she is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. She's so insightful. Um, she's going to have a huge impact, even though she's, hasn't necessarily had an impact on you know the goal side of things points yes but not on the goal side which is more what she's she's known for um she's having a huge impact in that room and she's been able to you know when she's on the ice things happen and i think it's just you know i i had this conversation just yesterday after the game where it's like chris like what's what's going on with this team what's what what's like what's happening with these players like uh, daryl watts or MGM, and I think it's it's honestly I know I, I don't want to sound like a uh, a broken record, but I think it's just a matter of this is the first time these these players have played in a physical league, and I think that 
when you're used to just being able to skate and focus on your skating, not have to worry about those hits and that physicality, this changes how you approach the game. And, and for Ottawa, again, they're only seven games. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, being a little bit too positive on this, but I would say they're only seven games into the season. And I would say this is a, this is a team that is the mo- most diverse in the league in terms of nations that, it, uh, that are represented. This is also a team that doesn't necessarily, outside of, you know, the Brian Jenners, the, the Mashmeyers, you know, don't have necessarily like, you know, the, the, the big names like, the, like PWHL uh, Toronto has, um, but they have a team that they, this is, inc- there's such incredible chemistry on this team and MGM absolutely factors into that. Um, I would say, I, I, would, I would predict that she'll be back into the next game and she's going to have an impact. She's going to be super motivated to get in there and to make an impact on this, uh, you know, on the next game. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about what she's been able to do. Uh, the fans love her. The fans, every time she has the puck, the fans see it, the fans feel it, and they love it. Ottawa will next take on Minnesota on Wednesday. They'll be in Minnesota, and then they will uh, host them on Saturday afternoon. So those two should be interesting matchups. A lot of interesting players, though, like we've mentioned on this team. Um, even the high-end skill, I know that some of the high-end skill maybe isn't there compared to some of the other teams, but there are still some really good players. Um, and in, we've been talking a lot about the depth, but you still have players like Emily Clark, Brian Jenner, um, NHL All-Star Game, three-on-three star Savannah Harmon, um, Emerson Smashmeyer. We've seen a lot of this season. She's played in every game so far for Ottawa. But I wanted to um, move away from the ice for a little bit and talk off ice. So you were uh, part of breaking this story. Um, PWHL teams have operated so far only with a general manager, no assistant general manager, no scouts. Um, and it seems to be that Ottawa was the first team to add to its, um, front office staff on Friday. They, there were five names that joined, uh, some really interesting ones in there. Jessica Campbell, John or Joe Bowringer, um, we don't really know what these people will be doing yet, what their roles with the org- with the organization will be, but um, they're very intriguing moves. Uh, what what do, what do we have so far on these on these five that have joined the front office for PWHL Ottawa? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I would say that you know, anytime you get an opportunity to be able to expand your front office, um, you know, Ottawa, uh, at least to my knowledge, is the first one that's. Uh, to, uh, that, that's done that this season. You just get ultimately like the the, the names that were uh, that were shared or that were uh, announced and joined the join the club are names that are just going to be able to provide that experience, be able to provide uh, insights, be able to provide. You know, they have a ton of experience um, from a collegiate level uh, in different leagues, and I just think that showcases or continues to uh, showcase what Ottawa's biggest or one of uh, one of the things that Ottawa is really focused on, which is creating a space in which you have such diverse uh, opinions, such diverse insights, such diverse uh, uh, overall, you know, experiences. And I just think that um, uh, that's what these, that, that's what these five individuals are going to be able to provide. Um, whether it's, and like I said, a different, an entire different league. Hey, we're thinking outside the box. You know, we're not going to necessarily treat this just like every uh, every other team, or we're not going to necessarily, you know, uh, do this by the books. We're going to really try to get as many different insights as possible because we want to create uh, a, a truly winning culture. That's, you know, uh, you know, when we think about things like analytics. Um, which is one of those areas in which any team will be able to, to gain an advantage. That's what these hires do. It's essentially just providing a different layer of analytics to be able to elevate this team, to be able to get the most out of this team. And then moving forward, you know, when we think about, uh, you know, next season and, and let's be honest, next season or in the off season, things are probably going to start getting ironed out a little bit more. We're going to start seeing this lead flesh out a little bit more um that's what this will help lead to so i think having those five individuals on this uh added to this front office 
I saw it and I saw the names and I was like, oh man, this is, this is exactly what this team needed. Um, and just, again, just continues their, I, I, I think they're, you know, they're, they're looking at this in a much more unique way than a lot of other. So should we be under the assumption that these, I mean, obviously a, a person like Jessica Campbell, she's a uh, full-time assistant coach with the Coachella Valley Firebirds in the American Hockey League right now. Um, should we assume that these positions are going to be more of like consulting based, maybe like part-time, not really full-time with the club uh, positions? Or should we expect maybe some of these people like Chris Peterson and uh, Kathy Pippi to be more full-time involved with the club? Uh, so truthfully, I would say, uh, and this is, I don't, I don't have any information yet just because these hires are so still so new, but what I would expect, um, they would be brought in, uh, and, uh, they would be, um, I would expect them to be full-time, uh, not necessarily always like with the club, but they're absolutely going to, um, a number of them will be with the club on and off, but I would expect them, the majority of them, to be uh, full time, uh, which I think is going to be great for the for the for the having the, those voices in that um, in the front office. Again, it's just going to be incredibly important for the for the club to be able to uh, to be able to see and to be able to hear those different perspectives. So I think um, that's what I that's what I would hope. Um, but I don't have at this point, I don't have any information in terms of uh, whether it's going to be specifically full time or not. But I, I that's what I, I would personally expect them to be based off of what I've seen the front office. The front office is that at every practice, at every game. So I would expect the same thing. So lots. Of, thank you again for that. And uh, we'll wrap up with this one. Just just a lot of exciting players and a lot of exciting teams so far. The play has been the hockey has been excellent. Um, the skill level has been high among all the teams so far. Um, has any has any other team that you've seen really stood out to you? Have any other players that you've uh, seen so far Ottawa play? this season have they have they stood out to you at any point like the talent level here is just off the charts with with every team because there's only six and uh the player pool is small and we there's only a certain number of jobs but um who's really stood out to you or what's a player or a team that's really just been like wow yeah i think first of all you know i think you nailed it on the head there where it's you know, this already, it's a 16 league. We've seen such incredible games. Every game has been, um, has been just way, I think for a number of fans who aren't used to women's hockey, they've been completely blown away by the, by the level of play, especially because there's a physical physicality aspect of the, to the game, which I think is something that really, really makes it entertaining. And, you know, not to go too much off topic, but things like the jailbreak rule, I think that's something that, you know, other, you know, the NHL, I can only imagine will want to ad adopt because that, that creates some uh, a incredible incentive on the, uh, on the power play or on the penalty kill, depending on which way you want to look at it. But what I would say is, you know, obviously it's easy to just be like, you know, Minnesota, New York, you know, those are uh, teams that have consistently played really well. We saw how, both of those teams uh, are able to, they're never down and out, right? They, they, Minnesota is known for being able, you know, even when they're down, they can find a way to win. And yesterday, unfortunately for Ottawa, they, in New York demonstrated how they were able to do the same and never really lost their edge. I would say surprises um, would be on, you know, maybe the, I'm surprised they're not better would be the, the Toronto team. Um, surprised based off of how they started Montreal. Now, you know, with, with Montreal, you know, they've been, they've been playing incredibly well, you know, now they're leading the league, uh, now over, over Minnesota. And I just, you know, they've been with, uh, with Julian net, like they've just been playing so incredibly well to have the depth in net, to be able to say you have, you know, arguably the best goaltender in the entire uh, world in Debian. And then, you know, you now also have Julie in that, who's been, you know, over her last three games has been, has been lights out. 
Um, and then, you, you know, from, from that perspective as well, you have, you know, uh, Julian Dempsey, you have Laura Stacey, who yesterday factored into the overtime goal. Um, and then, you know, one of the best games I saw was uh, Mary Philippe Poulin and, you know, Captain Clutch, she followed through with that and she played incredibly well. I just think as much as it pains me to say from an Ottawa perspective, because Ottawa and Montreal are always rivals, Montreal might be the, the team that, that I've been really, really pleasantly surprised with. And just they, every game you watch, it is just an incredible game from uh, Montreal's perspective. Should be a really exciting rest of the way. Uh, I know I'll be watching with a keen eye going forward. Thank you so much for doing this, Chris. We'll be sure to have you on soon, probably at the the two-thirds mark way of the season. We'll try and bring you on again. Love it. And uh, thanks so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Love talking uh, PWHL. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Bye. That was Chris Sinclair. He, like I said, he covers uh, PWHL. Uh, he was really good, by the way. Really informed. Really uh, boots on the ground. Seeing a lot of these teams and uh, women in action. Really high end hockey so far. Um, he mentioned the goaltending in Montreal has been really good. That was a really nice point at the end. Elaine Julie's been awesome. She currently leads the league in save percentage. Um, Montreal is leading the league right now. And Ottawa's in last, but they have two fewer games played than the teams they're chasing, which are New York and Toronto. And um, they have two games in hand, so they they will have a good shot at being able to um, slip into that fourth and final playoff spot. Um, we will see the PWHL go on their first of two international breaks in uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, the second break will be for the Women's World Championships. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's just been really an exciting league so far. He covers uh, Chris covers a very exciting team in Ottawa, a lot of intriguing players, and we didn't even really get into some of the the really, really high-end talent like Emily Clark and Brianne Jenner on the team and um, Emirates Mashmeyer, obviously. Um, they've all been really good. Savannah Harmon was the the star of NHL All-Star Weekend, and we didn't even really um, we didn't even really get into it with them. But uh, she she's she was excellent. She had a hat trick, obviously, and two assists in the the NHL three-on-three All-Star game that they played. And um, the the skill level in this league is just off the charts. He uh, Chris mentioned the physicality a lot of the league. Um, that's something I've been mentioning as well on this program and. Um, it, it's noticeable when you watch these hockey games, like they are physical. They do not shy away from anything, any hits, any, uh, board battles. Like that, there is a very high intensity to, um, this league and this game and everybody is loving it. All the fans are loving it. You also heard Chris mention, um, the, the fan perspective on different points and the fact that we are able to. The fact that he is able as a reporter to gather what the fan base is feeling so far already about certain topics is pretty neat. So uh, we thank him for coming on. We'll, we'll definitely bring him on again to talk more PWHL and PWHL Ottawa. We're also going to try and get on Michaela Grant Mentis maybe too, hopefully soon, um, just so we can get a player's perspective on what it's like inside the league and uh, what it's like being inside that locker room because I'm sure PWHL Ottawa's locker room is a very interesting one. Um, really, really good players from all over the world. So, um, we're going to switch back to the NHL a little bit here. Um, we obviously had Gary Bettman's presser on Friday. We, uh, brought that up with, um, Avery on Friday when we spoke with him and then he went and we, we had the press conference. Um, we obviously saw announced the four nations face off. That's what they're going to call this tournament. Uh, that will take place in place of the all-star game next year. It will be the USA, Canada, Finland, and Sweden. Um, it will take place in Boston, Montreal. Um, it, it's going to be great. Look, I know a lot of people are upset. Um, I know a lot of the players are upset. We are leaving out a bunch of great players. I understand the, the arm raising for maybe not even trying to make it a larger tournament and include, uh, countries like Czechia and Slovakia and Germany and Switzerland, maybe. Um, but look, four nations tournaments are a common occurrence in Europe. They they play four nations tournaments a lot. Um because look, we when we think of international breaks in sports, we generally think of soccer. But European hockey does have international breaks scheduled into their seasons. Um 
And obviously we're going to see that over here with the, the PWHL, like I mentioned. So um, Four Nations tournaments are not all that rare. I think they're just newer maybe for a North American audience and a newer idea. Um, and I, like I said, I think a lot of people are complaining now, but once the puck drops on it and everybody's, all these teams are together and practicing and um, squatted up. Like I, I, I don't think that anybody's really going to be, once we see USA versus Canada, everybody's going to be so excited and watching it and have an opinion about it. And so um, it, it should be great. Honestly, I'm looking forward to it. I know the David Pasternak comments were pretty tough um, saying how, much it stung that the tournament's going to be played in his NHL home city of Boston and he will be watching from home, but, um, it, it'll be great. Like I, I have to say, I'm looking forward to it. I, I want to believe the national hockey league this time when they say that they want to get into a rhythmic international calendar where it's Olympics every two years and uh world cup of hockey or four nations face off every Every two years, um, I think that would be great. There is talk of expanding this tournament in the future to include other countries. I know that the the sticking point right now is the Russia situation, but the words seem to be that uh, both Sweden and Finland agreed that if there was any Russian involvement, whether that was a Team Russia or a team with a collection of Russian players, that Sweden and Finland would both be out. So I think that the NHL just wanted to stick with the four countries and do what it can do. Um, obviously, this is run by the National Hockey League, so they will be in control of all this. So it will it's not an IIHF event, um, but it'll be a lot of fun. I think everybody's going to look forward to it, and we'll, we'll get a taste of the other thing that was announced, right? The other big piece of news that might have uh, been a lot bigger. It definitely was a lot bigger than the Four Nations face-off. Uh, the NHL will be playing in the next two Winter Olympics, Italy 2026. And while they have not formally announced a um, a place, a venue, a host country for the 2030 Olympics, it uh, was reported by Frank Saravalli, Frank Saravalli, Daily Faceoff, want to say his name correctly. Um, he follows us from Daily Faceoff. He's a very nice guy, um, follows our page on Alethio. Um, so... He reported that the 2030 Olympics might be or will be in Nice, France. So um, two great countries, two countries that the National Hockey League obviously cares about as far as potential markets for growth. Um, we know that they might not have felt the same way about the last two Winter Olympics, although I do think that the NHL cared a bit more about China than they might have South Korea. Um so that was the the big thing. I think everybody wanted Olympic part. I mean, we know everybody wanted Olympic participation. Uh, it was just a matter of figuring out the insurance situation. Um, that seems to be taken care of. The insurance is going to be covered, um, I think, by the IAHF, although I don't have that um, information off the top of my head in particular. Um, but I know that that was a sticking point. Um, but that has been figured out. They The fact that they agreed to go to the next two Olympics... Um, gives me hope that it will actually come through. Obviously, there was talk of arena issues in Italy, but those issues are really kind of moot because they have um, the arena that was used in the last time Italy hosted the Winter Olympics still available. There are ice rinks in Italy, so even if you are not able to build the one that is under construction for the Olympics in 2026, there are other ice rinks in Italy that have also hosted Olympic games before. So um, I don't think that that's really an excuse for the NHL to eventually decide to pull out. So I think this seems to be as um, lock proof and surefire of a um, guarantee of Olympic participation that we've had in a very long time. Um, the players wanted it. They obviously negotiated it into the CBA. So, you know, they really wanted it. Um, so we are very glad to have it. I mean, the, the, the desire, um, the craving for best on best international hockey has been uh, there for a long time. We still have not seen some of these players like Nathan McKinnon and uh, Connor McDavid play together and with um, guys from past generation like Sidney Crosby. Um, we'll see if Brad Marchand is still um, available to make the team or still at that level to make the team in 2026. I would bet that he is. Um, but it should be a really interesting collection of talent on all four sides just for next year with the four nations face off. And then that is kind of a 
an appetizer for 2026. So that is all very exciting. Um, the other big to- takeaway for me, obviously, I'm not really wanting to talk about the 2018 World Junior stuff right now. Um, we don't know a lot about it, and we are going to have a press conference from London Police today. So um, maybe we'll get a little bit more information on that. But I think with that story, we just are going to kind of have to wait it out and hope that eventually we have information to actually report on as opposed to we haven't done any speculation about it, and I refuse to. But um, understanding more concrete information when it comes out and processing that, that's more interesting to talk about than the obscurity of things right now and what we don't know. Um, but the other interesting thing is obviously the NHL expansion talk. We've done a lot of expansion talk here on this show. Um, and it was probably one of the more uh, walked away, talked about things after Gary Bettman's press conference. I think the the Olympic uh, international news was more of a joyous celebration for hockey fans and even hockey media and everybody who works in the game and plays the game. Um, that was more of a joyous thing, but the thing that everybody left and was talking about after the chitter, the chatter after was, um, expansion. And from Gary Bettman's perspective, we, we, he talked a little bit about the, um, the Arizona coyotes and what that might look like going forward for them. Um, we saw that they bought land in Northern Arizona. Um, so maybe in Northern Phoenix. So maybe we'll see, um, the return of the Phoenix Coyotes. That might be uh, that might be very interesting if we can get that there. Maybe hopefully we finally have a permanent resolution to the Arizona Coyotes arena situation. Um, but he was uh, Gary Bettman was very um, forthcoming when talking about expansion, saying that there's a lot of interest from a lot of different markets. He mentioned Ryan Smith's very vocal um, desire, owner of the Utah Jazz, to bring a team to to Salt Lake City. Um, Bettman said he received a call from um, the governor of Utah uh, saying that they believe that um, Salt Lake City would be a great market for the National Hockey League. Um, obviously, the group from Atlanta is starting to become more and more vocal as time goes on. Raven should be very happy about that one. Um, oh, yeah. But it, it seems like there is... Like, obviously, it's the big topic for a lot of people coming from that press conference and the question becomes what number of teams is too many teams um and will we see the NHL cuz because I personally don't believe that we will see an odd number of teams I know Gary Bettman said in an interview with Ron McLean that uh conference balance is not necessary which I found was an interesting point because that was a topic of discussion and something that they they did work out with some uh, team realignment, conference realignment, when Vegas joined the fray and uh, they knew Seattle was soon to join the fray. Um, So he said in in that interview with Ron McClain, which was a bit of a... um, Gary Bettman did not really hold back on Ron McClain, who is a very uh, good hockey reporter, knows probably more about where people come from and the, the... true roots and stories of hockey more than anybody in the world. Um, really, Gary was not holding back any of the punches on some of the questions that Ron asked, which were great questions and just questions trying to gain clarity as far as to what was going on here, as far as NHL expansion, asking if it was more about money and uh, real estate plays. And it was a very good interview. I recommend going to check that out if you uh, have some time. But... Um, I don't know what Gary Bettman, he, so he mentioned in that interview that there is no issue with him as far as an imbalanced conference setup. If there's um, 18 teams in one in the West and 16 in the East um, said that that wouldn't really bother him or 17 and 16. Like I said, I don't really think that we would, while he says that, I don't know that I necessarily believe him um, one and two. um, I think you're not going to bring in an odd number of teams, right? I don't know if I'm crazy in saying that, Raven, but I don't I don't think you're going to want an odd number of teams in your league. I think you're always going to want an even number of teams. So I think if we are if we do see a 33rd NHL team, there's probably plan to bring in a 34th. Same thing if there's a 35th, we'll probably see a 36th. <clears throat> but um just interesting stuff all around. I think it was a good joyous weekend for hockey fans. Obviously, we mentioned the All-Star game a little bit. I want to move away from the All-Star game. It'll be a nice uh, thing that we have these international 
uh, parts in the calendar so that way we can get a little bit of a break from the NHL All-Star game because I don't think they're going to be able to top what the the show was that they put on in Toronto this past weekend. It was excellent. Um, I think that international hockey is going to be a lot better of a uh, thing to take in for hockey fans for the next couple of years. Um, so it just seemed to be a big joyous occasion with uh, the growth of the game and celebrating the game and what we're going to get to see as far as uh, best on best talent in the near future. Um, It's just an exciting time to be a hockey fan. Uh, The talent obviously on display there, the young stars, Connor Bedard, our local, our local guy um, came and went to the NHL all-star game and was uh, passing pucks with Sidney Crosby and uh, who was also just a great ambassador for the game. Keep in mind, he's uh, approaching 37 years old or might already be 37 and, uh, probably doesn't need to be doing this kind of thing anymore, but still does. He's, I think Sidney Crosby has given enough back to the game of hockey, um, but you could just see him interacting. The, it was kind of odd because they they brought Connor Bedard out to the skills competition. I don't know how much of this you took in, Raven, probably none of it. Um, it was saving your time a little bit. But, I saw some clips on Instagram. But- so they brought Connor Bedard out to like do the passing for the one-timer challenge that they did. And him and Sid were passing pucks on their sides, right? Connor Bedard's a right shot and Sid's a left. And um, so they did the passing. And afterwards, you could just like Connor sat out there with all the players on the on the seat on the little curve seat that they had. Mm-hmm. And it, it appeared for a while as if just nobody was talking to him. Like he, he probably went like 30, 45 minutes without anybody really saying anything to him. I mean, everybody was interacting and they were participating in the skills, but like you, you flew this, this kid out from Chicago and um, he is gracious enough. Obviously he's young, like he's 18 years old. I don't know how many people really still realize that. Um, with who he is and his stature, even in the, this city, it's huge. Um, and the player he is already in the game is very big. And But, like, he's still 18 years old. And you don't think he would have rather, like, done anything else with his weekend this weekend on his weekend off? Like, maybe gone to see some of his friends from Regina in the WHL or um, done anything. Maybe gone on a nice vacation with some of his Blackhawks teammates. But um, he went and had a lot of fun and participated in everything that the NHL asked him to do. And nobody was talking to him until uh, Sidney Crosby eventually went up and started chit-chatting with him a little bit. And think about that if you're Conor Bedard, too. That's his idol. You know what I mean? So he's sitting there, and then eventually, you know, you get your idol getting to uh, chit-chat with you and talk with you a little bit and help pass the time. But I thought that that was um, just like a funny little thing. Um, But so we'll move away from the NHL All-Star, obviously, in the the press conference. It was a good weekend. We're going to get back into games tonight. We have two games on the on the schedule tonight and they both should be pretty good ones. Uh, we will get into those in a second. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the Sean Monahan deal. Um, so Sean Monahan goes to Winnipeg. All of this happened Friday, right? As soon as we were finished recording and uploading and, uh, Zach came in and recorded the deep fade after. And, um, so that, that was a good one. But, um, so Sean Monahan goes to, uh, Winnipeg. Montreal gets a first rounder in return. They get a conditional third back. Um, Rick Bonus said in Toronto this weekend that uh, Monaghan should slot in on the second line currently. I don't know when we're going to see maybe a Mark Shifley return to the Winnipeg lineup. Um, but it seems in Winnipeg that the first line is set and the third line is set, led by Captain Adam Lowry. That third line in Winnipeg has been really good. They forecheck hard. Uh, they've been very consistent. Nino Niederreiter has been excellent so far this season, probably one of the more underrated pickups of last season, um, and they were able to retain him there. He seems to be just gelling really well there. But the second line with Nikolai Ehlers and Cole Perfetti has still been searching for that um, consistent presence down the middle. And I think that's why they bring in Monaghan. They're going to try him there. Um, he's been really good. If you're Montreal, look, the, the, there are two more dartboards at the thing. The first rounder is in this year's draft. Um, I, I've mentioned, I mentioned last Friday. I think this draft is going to shape up to be a lot deeper than a lot of people maybe anticipated after the draft the draft we had last year, um, being as deep as it was, and even some of the drafts we've had in years past. Um, a lot of really good players, a lot of really good collection of talent. I think this draft is shaping up to be much of the same, especially at the high end of the draft, but even as you go later on in the first round. So if you're Montreal, being able to collect another first round or maybe package it up and move up eventually, we'll see how that goes. But... Um, 
Sean Monahan to Winnipeg is a it's a good move for both sides. If you're looking at Winnipeg, it's probably a pure rental. We'll see if he has some desire to stay in Winnipeg going further. Um, but they're loaded. I mean, they are, um, I think, two points out of the top spot uh, from Colorado in the Central Division. That being the division that you really want to win. I know I've heard a lot of talk about that. Um, you don't want to finish second in that division or third because uh, you're going to have a very, very tough first-round matchup if you do. But um, so Winnipeg gets a center to bolster their lineup, and I think they might be done with moves. I think they might be pretty content with their team. I know uh, we talked about the Elias Lindholm going to Vancouver move last week on the program, and uh, the feeling around Vancouver seems to be that there might be another move left in them somewhere. Um but I think this might be it for Winnipeg. I think this might be the team that they go the rest of the season with and into the playoffs. Uh, watch right after we get off. They're going to make another move right now. Um, but, no, it should be it should be a good move uh, overall on both sides. I think everybody kind of worked out well, and um, the Jets are a contender. They're going all in. Canadians uh, trying to pull back a little bit, maybe uh, drop a few points in the standings, um, drop a few spots in the standings, and – give more opportunities to some of their younger players too that they have in Laval even. Um, Joshua has been really good there. So we'll see how that all goes. Um, Jesse Pulley-Yarvey, former fourth overall pick by the Edmonton Oilers, signs a two-year deal, not a one-year deal, a two-year deal with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He had uh, four goals, nine assists, or nine points, five assists in 14 AHL games with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. Um he was playing on the top line there. Everything that I've heard from some of the players um, in Wilkes-Barre seemed to be that he um, has just been very good there, like just more skilled than you might have even thought. Um, the recovery from, I think it was a hip injury, has been uh, progressing well for Jesse Pugliarvi that he feels he's ready to, ready to take another go at the National Hockey League. Obviously, the Penguins feel the same way. It's a $800,000 cap hit, so... Um, nothing too crazy for the Penguins, not um, too much of a commitment. They obviously went the extra mile with that second year of term that they gave to him. Um, I think it, I, I, I don't know, we'll probably see him in a Pittsburgh lineup pretty soon uh, if he hasn't been called up already. Um, but we, we will probably see him in an NHL lineup soon. I think Pittsburgh's looking for anything that might have, look, Jesse Pugliarvi is a former fourth overall pick. Um, you have consummate professionals in Pittsburgh like Sidney Crosby obviously and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang and Eric Carlson and the list goes on where if you could we see Jesse Pugliarvi get a look with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel I don't know that for certain and I don't even believe that we might ever get looks at that but wouldn't that be an interesting game or two if we uh or even a period if we could get Jesse Pugliarvi with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel um that's always the hope in Pittsburgh that you slot uh, a, a winger with either of your two elite centermen and they'll score more points than they've ever scored before in their life um, or you're Phil Kessel and you dominate your own line on the third line but um, should be an interesting signing in Pittsburgh we'll see how that goes um, uh, what else we got here Matias Samuelson yeah that's, that's unfortunate I uh, really like Matias Samuelson I love his game he's very physical um he has been figuring out his defensive positioning a lot more over the last season and a half. I know that that was kind of a uh, red flag from him when he got that big extension from Buffalo, but he was awesome last year for a team that just missed out on the playoffs, and he was having a bit of a tougher season this year. Um, obviously, he might have been dealing with some injury issues, so uh, we won't hold that against him too much. I still think he's a really good player who will be a good player and defenseman in Buffalo for a really long time. But he's going to miss the rest of the season with an upper body injury. So we wish him a speedy recovery, even though, like I said, we won't see him again this year, most likely. So um, only two games tonight. The New York Islanders are visiting the Toronto Maple Leafs. And um, we have Colorado at the New York Rangers. So we will see in that game if we uh, see both of our um, all-star goaltenders, Alexander Georgiev and Igor Shesterkin. Um, we will probably see Vincent Trocek, obviously, in the New York Rangers lineup. But that should be a good one. The Islanders in Toronto, obviously, um, that will be an interesting game. Obviously, Toronto's coming off being the 
the star of the weekend, the the story of the weekend with the the incredible event that they just hosted with All Star Weekend. Um, all those players should be geared up, ready to go tonight. Um, William Nylander, Morgan Riley, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. Um, you could tell that they had a, a nice weekend together and were really enjoying the city um, and showing off their city. You heard some of the quotes, obviously, Austin Matthews calling Toronto the the best hockey city in the world or whatever he had said. Um, that, that really got the fans going there. And you know that they showed love for their city and uh, their, the energy in that building tonight should be excellent. So um, two really good games I will be taking in both, as I'm sure anybody listening to this will as well. Uh, we thank you for joining us. We will be back. We also thank Chris Sinclair for uh, hopping on with us again. He was excellent, covered PWHL Ottawa. Um, we will have him on again soon. Thank you to Raven for coming in early this morning so we could record that interview with Chris. And uh, we'll see you all tomorrow morning. <laughs>